When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. another episode of purple insider matthew collar here and this is a fans only slashed predictions and projections week podcast where i take a look also at some fan projections that people have sent me on twitter or through email or through direct messages and we'll talk about them um i think a lot of really good ideas and really fun angles from people about their predictions but i also have leftover fans only questions so i'm going to get to both of those things so let's just open the diet dr pepper let's jump right in and have some fun if you want to um, send me a, a question for fans only, or if you want to send a prediction that we can go over and I'm going to get some other people involved. So if you send them, we're going to do a lot more of them. So we'll have Paul Hodewanik when he gets back from vacation and so forth. Uh, other guests, I'll throw some of your predictions at, and we can have a good time with those. So feel free to keep sending them whenever you like. Same with the fans only podcast. And I appreciate everyone who participates. I never run out of questions because uh, I always have people sending them and there's just so many good ideas that it's always unique and interesting and I really enjoy it. So let me open the Diet Dr. Pepper here. All right. Let us get right into it. Okay. First question comes from at rat trapping on (laughs) Twitter. Hey, caller fans only request here. It's a bit of a deep data dive. Who are some of the players with the lowest relative athletic scores to have the longest NFL careers? Ever since you were talking about relative athletic scores with Chris Trapasso during draft season, I've had this question on my mind. So relative athletic scores, well, we did talk about those a lot in draft season, but just for a refresher, there's a website called Relative Athletic Scores that takes how people performed at the NFL Combine, combines them with height and weight, to form a and their position to for to form the percentile of athlete that a player is. So they're weighted by your position and what's important to success with your position, um, but also combines just you know for a receiver, your forty, your three cone, you know things like that, and then height, weight, and then it normalizes it to a percentile. So if we say Justin Jefferson, and this is true, is a ninety seventh percentile athlete. Well, I mean, that means that he's pretty good. That means of all the people that performed at the NFL combine, he was in the 97th percentile, meaning only 3% have ever performed better uh, versus their height and weight uh, than Justin Jefferson and combined, you know, with position or normalized to position. So it kind of gives you a snapshot of someone's athleticism. And I'll give you an example here. Uh, Kirk Cousins is an example of someone who has overcome a very poor relative athletic score. So, you know, he ran a four, nine, something 40. And I was looking at this the other day and the only comparable quarterbacks who have had really recent careers that were in that percentile of athleticism were Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. And below that, I couldn't really find anyone who has succeeded, which says a couple of different things. I mean, one, it really speaks to that off schedule nature that we talk about all the time, the escapability, like it does show up, but it also shows Kirk Cousins and how good of a thrower of the football he is, how hard he works um, to overcome that because most quarterbacks And that's why he was a fourth round pick who are not great athletes and don't have great size like a Tom Brady or a Phillip Rivers that are 6'5 or 6'6 
or a Drew Bledsoe from back in the day. Like Cousins doesn't have that either. So most quarterbacks are either incredibly athletic or very big. He fits into neither category, but is still built out uh, a very good career for himself. So there's an example. So what I did here was I wanted to go recent. I mean, all time, I'm sure I could get that information. It goes back to 1987 on this list, but I thought recent was probably a little bit better to give you some names of some of the overperformers that are not considered to be great athletes in the NFL. And the list is, the list is kind of amazing. I mean, some really good players. So what the relative athletic score website gives you is whether someone made the pro bowl or not. So I looked from the time Kirk cousins came into the league, 2012 to 2022, the worst athletes to have at least made a pro bowl. And the worst one I could find is Vontez perfect, who was in the not 20th percent in the second percentile two, um, and yet uh, carved out a career for himself and also kind of carved the career right out of himself by being such a, a violent player and really crossing those lines. So uh, Jameis Winston is another quarterback that's in Cousins ballpark. He's bigger, but I think slower. Zadarius Smith is actually in here as a 37th percentile athlete. Kirk is uh, 41st, if you were wondering. Um, but Zadarius Smith did not have a great NFL combine, and he's really done it with, I think, just how strong he is and how technically good he is and versatile um, I think those are the things that have played into it because it isn't this incredible quickness, but it is a lot of strength for him. Some other guys you would recognize DeForest Buckner has turned into a really good player. Tyron Matthew. I remember this was a controversy at the time. Tyron Matthew did like no reps with the bar. I, I, I forget what it was, but it was, it was an incredibly low number of reps that he did uh, in terms of lifting. So he ended up with very bad scores. Delvin Cook did not end up with a very good relative athletic score under 50th percentile. And the crazy thing about Delvin Cook is that his explosiveness and his speed, and this tells you about the underwear Olympics, the NFL combine, his explosiveness and speed numbers at the combine were not good. I don't know why. Maybe he was dealing with some injury, but he didn't run an incredibly fast 40. He did not have a great three cone, I think. And I, I mean, he... I don't remember exactly with that, but I remember the jumping, the three cone. I'm not hundred percent sure I'd have to check, but the jumping was so pathetic that he was getting like made fun of on the internet. Like anybody could jump as high as Delvin cook. And yet he's become one of the best running backs in the NFL. So you should always pay attention to what they look like on the field more than the relative athletic scores. Um, but he's certainly overcome that Cooper cup, only 50th percentile. Same with Deandre Hopkins. Um, you do not have to be, among the greatest of the greatest, but it certainly does not hurt. And if I take you all the way to the top of the list, those are the guys that stand out the most to me. If I take you to the top of the list of pro bowlers who have uh, great athletic scores, I mean, you get Miles Garrett, Luke Keekley, Marshawn Lattimore, Lane Johnson, um, our friend Latavius Murray, TJ Watt, Brian Burns, Daniel Hunter, Andrew Luck. I mean, it's a pretty good list. So you would always bet on guys who are more athletic, but it's not a guarantee if someone is not an unbelievable athlete that they will just immediately fail. Uh, okay, let's get to the next one. I'll try to move on quickly through the fans only and get into the predictions here. Uh, at This is a fantasy six. If Mike Zimmer was magically the Vikings defensive coordinator, how would we feel about the draft specific, specifically scene and booth? Thanks. Love the show. Good question. Um, hmm. Well, I, I would say that if they had drafted two defensive backs and Mike Zimmer had still be in charge in any capacity, we would have said typical Zimmer. What is he doing? Drafting more corners after they've had corners go bust, just caring about his secondary and not the offense. I mean, of all the things that have been surprising this off season, of which there are numerous ones, and I wrote the other day about imagining this scenario of if Baker Mayfield was the quarterback and Jim Harbaugh was the coach, like what a clown show this would be, but also it would be really interesting if Zimmer was still uh, the coach, whether as head coach or defensive coordinator, 
we would definitely be looking at this and saying they're just doing the same thing over again. Same old, same old. I mean, drafting a safety is different for them, but oh, they just want the secondary and Zimmer's clearly calling the shots and won't let Kevin O'Connell do what he needs to do. We would have been saying all of that stuff. And I think that them not improving the offense in any real way, aside from drafting a guard in the second and picking up Chris Reed and Jesse Davis, a couple of guys who are kind of, you know, middling guards that you hope can maybe overperform what they've done in the past. That is by far the most surprising thing to me still that I look at the roster and, and think, gosh, they just, they're going to go to a, a situation with three wide receivers more. And they didn't add a receiver aside from Albert Wilson. They didn't draft a receiver until the sixth round. They did not go out and get a new center. They didn't go out and spend their money on a game changing guard. I'm still surprised by that. And they're really putting a lot of emphasis on just Kevin O'Connell being better, but for sure we'd be saying typical Zimmer and why can't he help the offense? And he's got to take all the draft picks, which isn't exactly true. They did spend a lot of draft picks on the offense. Ezra Cleveland, Christian Derrissaw, Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith Jr., Garrett Bradbury. Like these are all top draft picks that were spent on the offense, but because of their penchant early on in Zimmer's career, but also with uh, Gladney and Hughes, I mean, we often said, oh, they just want to draft corners. Um, But, you know, we would also probably be saying that Zimmer will get the most out of these guys. And I mean, Ed Donatel most certainly could too, that they're going to have to be relied upon to fix the defense in some ways. I don't know about Booth and if he's going to be asked to be a starter at some point, um, but you figure corners get hurt a lot and he's probably going to have to play at some point. So they will need Lewis seen and Andrew Booth to be very good. Um, But you know, Zimmer's track record with those defensive players in recent years, wasn't as good as it was early in his career. But I think that a lot of things, I mean, if Rick Spielman was still in charge when they signed Albert Wilson, we would have said, Oh, you mean Kendall Wright and Jordan Taylor and Tavares King and Tajay Sharp, who came up on the last podcast. And uh, we would have run through that whole list of kind of wide receiver fours or fives that they brought in and said, Oh, this guy will be the, the slot receiver. And then it would just never happen. So, yeah, I mean, that still remains one of those things that I look at and go, wow, no real changes to the offense, huh? They must think that last year they were really clueless when it came to the, the whole X's and O's part. So, uh, this one comes from Kyle fans. Only question, Matthew, could you please talk about what a typical regular season work week looks like for an NFL player? What days do they get off? How long are they at the facility? What do they consist of travel days and the day before the game? Oh, okay. Uh, well, they always, let's say it's a Sunday game. So on a Sunday game, they show up at the stadium, probably want to say eight o'clock, nine o'clock, depending on the guy, probably closer to eight, eight thirty. Uh, then they go out for warmups that happen through 10, you know, maybe, maybe into the 11 o'clock hour. And then they come back out play the game, do the post game interviews, all that stuff in the locker room. And then they finally walk out of there. I would say probably five 30, five, five 30, somewhere in that ballpark. Then they're back at the facility on Monday morning. They go through the game. They go through the meetings. Let's just assume it's a home game because travel would normally be involved, but travel these days is not that huge of a deal unless maybe even from the West coast, you're talking like a three hour flight. So let's just say, you know, home game, they're back Monday morning and they have meetings and they go through the game and they review the tape and they start putting in, um, well, they don't start putting in the game plan yet, but they go through the previous game. And then after that, they have Tuesday off. And then when they come back on Wednesday, that's when they start putting in the game plan for, uh, their Wednesday practices and things like that. Um, you know, during the regular season, I believe the way that it works would be they show up, they go through their meetings in a walkthrough. And then in the afternoon, I don't know uh, if, if the walkthrough is every single day or not, but then in the afternoon, because we're never really present for that, but the meetings for sure during the day, that's when they hit the practice field, the afternoon, go through a couple hour practice, come off the field, talk to us head home probably around four or five, depending on the player. I'm sure that some players are different than other players. 
And then they do that again for Thursday. Friday, it's an earlier practice, so they're home earlier. And Saturday, I, d- I don't know exactly. We're never out there for Saturday. I think some players come into the facility to maybe work out or watch tape or whatever they want to do. But I don't think that that's always required. I'm not 100% sure about that uh, because we're never out there on Saturdays unless it's a Monday night football game. So I- I'm not sure because they-, they don't have an official practice on Saturday. Some teams do. I think the Packers have an actual practice on Saturday and they take a different day off. So I think it varies from team to team and maybe it will change a little bit, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And that's why a lot of times these guys have to watch a lot of tape and stuff on their own because there's only so much that they can do there. And there's only so much practice time that they're allowed. And so you've got to do a lot of studying. I mean, if you're playing against TJ Watt and you're, I don't know, Rashad Hill, you're playing left tackle you've got to spend a lot more time than just what you're going to go over putting in the game plan because that's how, you know, that's what the coaches are doing on Tuesday. They're designing up the game plan, having it ready for the players. So they learn it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then you're off and you're playing football. I mean, once you get into the season, these things go pretty quick and there's not a ton of time to make all these adjustments and adaptations Uh, you know, to the playbook. I mean, that's why training camp is so important because you put in all of this stuff. You teach everybody all of these things that are the basics. So if they can master those basics, then they put in the specifics for each game. So we're using this basic concept, but this week we're doing it a little bit different and here's how we're going to practice it and all those things, but they can't really be out there for a long time in practice. I'm trying to think about like what, what time it usually would start and end. It might be like two hours is all that a, that a daily practice is going to be. Cause we would go out there to take attendance and then go back into the media room because we can't watch practice during the season and then come back out when they're done, which is usually about two hours later. So that's all you get. I mean, they got to make the most of it and everybody's got to be prepared on their own because there isn't like a crazy amount of time for these guys. And some players show up really early at the facility, six o'clock, they start watching their film there, or they, you know, get together with other guys and do their lifts and their workouts and stuff like that. Um, So I think that it probably varies from player to player, but that's mostly how it ends up going uh, during the season. That's a good question. Go to sodastick.com. That is S O T A S T I C K, our loyal sponsor. Check out all of their great Minnesota themed gear for your playoff run in hockey or for baseball season if you're headed out in the nice weather to a baseball game. That is S O T A S T I C K, sodastick.com. Hats, t shirts, Hoodies if you need them for a cool evening in the summer. Sodastick.com has you covered. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. This from uh, Jay Holiday 316. Uh, for fans only, if for one season you could pick either Jerry Rice or Randy Moss as your wide receiver one, which would you pick and why? Hmm. As... <sighs> As great as Randy Moss is, as truly, truly, truly great as Randy Moss is, I it's very hard to pass on Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice owns every record by so much. And not just like because he played forever. Like that I mean, let's let's pull this up here in terms of wide receivers for even like single season, where Jerry Rice stands for single seasons. I mean, he's got the fourth highest season ever receiving. And think of when he played 1995 for single season. The only ones higher, Kelvin Johnson, Cooper Cup last year, and Julio Jones in 2015, Jerry Rice fourth all time in 1995. Uh, I mean, he was so consistently excellent. But also beyond that, there's a volatility to Moss, especially as he goes on in his stardom. 
And Randy Moss, in terms of yardage, has the 19th best season ever. That was his absolute best. You're talking about for one season, I assume I'm getting the best of the best. Now, Randy Moss's high end is the most unstoppable receiver. I think him and Calvin Johnson are the most unstoppable receivers of all time. But with Jerry Rice, it's week to week. It's game to game. I Somebody would have to tell me who was maybe older than me or was more connected to the NFL because, I mean, in 1995, it's the newspaper, it's Football Digest, it's the Sunday pregame shows. But I don't remember a whole lot of drama with Jerry Rice. And I don't remember a whole lot of games where there were ups and downs with him or there was you know gaps in between where he was truly dominant. You could do anything with him. But, you know, that's not to disparage Randy Moss. We're talking about of all the receivers that you would take in the history of the game, it's probably Jerry Rice number one with a, you know, just dead set there. You can't move that number one. And then Randy Moss is maybe two or three. So it's a great question. That's the only difference to me is that Jerry Rice was a less volatile person to have around your team, that he was more consistent and that maybe because he was so good and he was a good deep receiver as well, but because he was so good as a route runner and the underneath stuff that he's going to consistently drive the success over a season of your offense, as opposed to kind of, you know, having those huge games and then games where he was less uh, effective. And, you know, the highlight reel is clearly better with Randy Moss, but maybe the game to game to game is Jerry Rice, but we're talking the slightest of edges. There's no disrespect. Don't tweet that there's disrespect. Because there's not disrespect uh, for Randy Moss here. But I think that's the only reason that I would take Jerry Rice slightly over Randy Moss. But if you were talking about one play, because, I mean, think about this. Like, Moss only had 200 catch receiving seasons in 2002 and 2003. Um, So he wasn't, like, the always just, like, this go-to, go-to. Even with the Randy ratio, which was, I think, in those years... Whereas, I mean, Jerry Rice, uh, well, Jerry Rice had four of those. So, you know, I guess maybe those are hard and a couple in the, well, no. Okay. One was 98. One was 92 when he was, uh, 40 years old, Jerry Rice, 92 catches when he's 40 years old, 122 catches in 1995. Unbelievable year after year. I mean, Randy Ma or, um, Jerry Rice led the league in receiving one, two, three, four, five, six times. And in touchdowns, one, two, three, four, five, six times. Hard to take anybody, but that guy, I would say. Um, so, but it's a great question. I mean, I love the idea of comparing great versus great, the slightest of slightest edges, but fun question. All right. This is the last one for fans only. And then we'll get into predictions and projections week, which I should have had Manny Hill do the big voice predictions and projections week. Uh, okay. Last fans only question though. Uh, I listened to your podcast you did with someone from Buffalo and enjoyed learning about your history with sports broadcasting and lots of different sports. Have you ever considered talking about other Minnesota sports in a small segment on your podcast? Maybe your wife could talk basketball. <laughs> not after not after uh, the way the Lynx have played. I don't know that she would be happy to talk about them. It's been a bit of a struggle. Uh, and you could talk hockey. Thanks and enjoy your summer. Well, thank you so much, Matt, and enjoy your summer as well. Well, okay. few things on that. I mean, I do like being able to spread my wings from time to time. When I was on the radio a few years back, I would get some space to talk with like Rami Maklov or something about other sports that were going on. And I could shoot off twins takes or wild takes. Uh, You know, I, I remember upsetting some folks by saying that I didn't think Miguel Sano was a great baseball player and the internet had some problems with that, but eh, well, hasn't exactly worked out since then. But anyway, the, the only thing is that on the show, first of all, like podcasting in general is very niche. So a lot of the most successful podcasts really focus on one subject. And I think that that's right because people go seeking out Vikings talk If you want twins talk, there's someone else for that, right? Who knows a lot more than I do about the twins. The other thing is I really don't have a lot of space in just my life in general to dedicate to these other sports to the point where I'd feel comfable, like giving you opinions on them. I mean, the reason that 
people listen to the show other than the guests I have that are around the league, other reporters or PFF people or former players or whatever ESPN, you know, people it's like one of the reasons people listen to the show is because with the Vikings, it's all I do. I mean, it's go out to that facility, go to practice, write about them, look at all the numbers, talk to all the people I can talk to the players, be at the press conferences, like get every bit of information that I can get and then bring it back to you. So I'm giving you something that I can learn from them and pass on to you in the show, or I'm giving you interesting discussion points. If you asked me to talk about the twins, I might be like Buxton. Am I right? Like I can't tell you much that you don't know. Now my wife certainly could about basketball because that's her thing. And um, you know, I, but I, I just, I feel like the, the show is for the Vikings fans around the universe. And I get a lot of notes from people outside of Minnesota to really focus on this team, but I'm, I'm not dismissing it. I'm saying that I wouldn't be confident in it if I, if I did maybe for the summer, it is a good idea. Maybe we should do like hot take of the week on some other sport. Like what were they doing? Putting Royce Lewis in center field. Shame on you twins. I don't know. Like, that's the thing is like, I just don't know a whole lot about the team. I mean, if I'm going to a twins game, I'm just going to go sit in the stands like anybody else and just watch and have a good time at target field. And uh, the only other team that I know like inside and out is the links because I go to a lot of their games and because uh, of my wife. And so I could give you some links takes if you want, but I think, you know, you kind of came for the football. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fun idea though. And what I was trying to start, I remember at 1500 was this thing I was calling like off the record where it was an opportunity for me to interview people that were outside of football because I did feel like I was just growing into one big purple football. And I wanted to make sure that I talked with some baseball guests and interviewed other people about specific subjects. And of course, you know, the whole station kind of went under not too long after that, but uh, it is a good idea. And I wish I had like dedicated space and time to spread the wings and do some other things. And that's why I'm trying to do like the, the, purple insider book club thing. And hopefully I'll get another guest, another author soon. Uh, like I had Doug Farrar to talk about their book. I of course have to read the person's book for first before I can bring them on. So it's not, it's hard to do like on a frequent basis, but I really like that. I like, I like your idea of talking a little bit outside the lines sometimes. And, uh, I will try to do that in the future. So thanks very much, Matt for that. Okay. Let us get to predictions and projections week. So that's what we're going to be talking about all week. Mike Clay from ESPN is going to come on. Uh, we'll get Paul back from vacation at some point and we'll, con- and we'll continue to go through these, but again, send them, tweet them, email them, whatever you want to do. Any prediction about anything Vikings and you will see how this works with a lot of people. Uh, the first one comes in from WX man, Kyle. And he just says seven and 10. That's just, that's the whole tweet. Just seven and 10. That's his prediction. This is the hard thing about the records when people send their records, because I can't tell you that you're wrong because I don't have any idea what they'll be as their final record. And if I knew that, uh, this would just be a gambling podcast. And I would tell you, take the under everybody. Kyle says it's seven and 10. Um, what I will say is that there's a scenario where they go seven and 10 and it's a pretty ugly one, but it's one where the offense doesn't really improve and where a couple of key guys get hurt on defense and they can't cover anybody. And they're facing a lot of good wide receivers this year. It's one where they don't start the season very well. And then you get behind the eight ball and the schedule gets hard in like the early second half of the schedule. Let's say you start 0-2 and and you lose those first two games to Green Bay and Philly, which are two very difficult games. If you don't at least split them, then what does that feel like? That feels like last year with Cincinnati and Arizona where they're just playing from behind and there was no room for error or anything going wrong. And that's the scenario where you end up seven and 10. I mean, they were this close to being seven and 10 last year. And could you see some of the same things going wrong? That's always the hardest part to predict is 
Will you have one of those years where everything falls your way? Everybody stays healthy. You get the right matchups. The other team is playing backup quarterbacks when you play them. Or will you end up with one of those seasons where Case Keenum comes in and for whatever reason, the guy is magic for that year and, you know, whatever else. That's when you have a team that you could kind of make a case for either way. And it's eight and a half wins by Vegas metrics. I mean, it really comes down to that sort of thing. But if they do go seven and 10, and I don't know, I mean, maybe some of you would disagree with that, uh, this statement, but I think that it would be a disaster because of the way that they set up their off season to bring it all back and did not make moves for the future aside from one trade down. But I mean, that's really the only thing we can spot for the future. If they don't get back to the playoffs, then we're going to ask, what was it all for then? What, what did you bring the quarterback for on the expensive contract? Why didn't you improve the offense? Like there will be so much second guessing of last, this last off season or current off season, whatever we're in the first Adolfo Mensa O'Connell off season, there will be so much second guessing because you think about if they had moved on from cousins and this is only if they go seven and 10, but if they had moved on from cousins and then, you know, they could have had like Mariota go seven and 10. Anybody could go seven and 10. Who cares? Or that six and 11 or five and 12. Like what difference is there? Uh, losing more games would get you closer to a top pick. That would be the only silver lining though. Of going seven and ten, you're going to have a pretty high draft pick, and in that case, you are lock dead taking a quarterback for sure. If this team goes seven and ten, because that means that there will have not been a magical new Kirk, there will not have been the offense that unlocked the keys or anything like that, and all those things that they kind of hinted at and they made their bets on will have pretty much gone wrong if they end up being seven and ten. So if Kyle ends up being right. Uh, that is a big problem for the Adafo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell starts the era. This one from uh, Dinzio82. Vikings make an in-season trade after week one for an offensive weapon. So this is one that I could see happening if somebody gets hurt. I would be really shocked if it happened otherwise because they just clearly seem to think that they've got enough weaponry. Uh, on the offensive side to deal with that. They are good with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson and KJ Osborne being their one, two, three. And they think that Irv Smith is going to be their excellent move tight end. And the offensive line is good enough. I mean, I, you mentioned the weapons, not the offensive line, but you know what I mean? It's also pretty hard to swing a trade after week one. Like I think really the last time you can swing a trade is at the beginning of training camp and anything past that. I mean, they were able to bring in Sam Bradford at the last minute, but usually that's not something that happens. Uh, Khalil Mack, right at the very end of training camp, right before the season, he was traded to Chicago. So it's not impossible. But if Adam Thielen were to get hurt in training camp, then they would have to do it or get hurt in week one. Or same for KJ Osborne, because he's an important part of this. If he were to get hurt, then you would want to try to bring in someone else because Smith-Marset, Albert Wilson, if he makes the team, like these are not really viable number three options at this moment. Smith Marset could certainly show me something different in training camp. I think he has the talent, but that's the only scenario that I could see that happening unless there's some very bizarre situation where someone is holding out, which almost never happens anymore. And then, you know, boom, the Vikings are trading for this guy or that guy. They are hanging on to just enough cap space to not make it impossible. Uh, so, you know, Hey, it could happen, but it's, they just have shown no indication that they really want another offensive weapon. I mean, they passed on one in the NFL draft at, uh, their draft pick to trade all the way back down. And, you know, they had that opportunity numerous times. There were other wide receivers who were out in the market. There were other wide receivers that you could potentially trade for. And they just decided that they're all good with where they are. And that's another one of those things that going back to the first prediction, if they don't succeed, then we're certainly going to say, Hey, uh, maybe you shouldn't have followed the, the Kendall Wright method. And maybe you should have gotten a number three receiver for real. Um, so I, I guess we'll see how that plays out, but I I'm not saying that it won't happen for sure. Just that those things often require the exact right circumstances. 
in order to happen. Okay, next one comes from at Skyumiku. Uh, Justin Jefferson, if healthy, will have over 1,600 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns. Kenne Wongwu will have more yards than Alexander Madison. 8-9 and nine record, Irv Smith and K.J. Osborne will have more yards than Thielen, but he'll have more touchdowns than both combined. Whoa, I, that's a lot of predictions packed into one thing. One at a time. Let's go rapid fire on these predictions. Justin Jefferson, if healthy, over 1,600 yards. Hard to do. Uh, I was just looking at that, you know, all-time record. Like, let's, there's only 24 guys who have ever in a single season gone over 1,600 yards. Uh, or 24 seasons. Some are by the same people. So that's not easy to do, but I could see it for Justin Jefferson. Last year, he was at uh, 1,616. That would take the season that everybody is dreaming of. Not impossible at all. Not easy to do either, uh, even with a 17th game. 10 touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That seems reasonable if they're going to throw it to him a lot. Kenny Wongwu having more yards than Alexander Madison is a very reasonable take. Wongwu has to be a guy that they figure out how to use in all different scenarios, get him screen passes, get him reversed, like any way to have him touch the ball. It would be a failure to not. The only thing is Madison is the trusted. He can pass block. He's actually a good pass catcher. I think actually better in terms of his hands than Delvin cook. He's the more experienced guy. I I think that if Delvin and when Delvin misses a game, that Alexander Madison is probably the starter unless he really struggles during training camp. So that one I think is maybe 50-50 that they could, you know, discover that Kenny Wong was a better fit for them. But the the trusty veteran Madison. Eight and nine record is kind of, you know, dead on for where a lot of people are predicting this team. Uh, Irv Smith and KJ Osborne having more yards than Thielen would be surprising. Uh, I mean, you're basically suggesting that he's going to be used like uh, Kyle Rudolph, <laughs> like more touchdowns only just used in the red zone. Uh, Irv Smith, I will say yes to, but KJ Osborne, I would not say yes to having more yards than Thielen unless Adam Thielen gets hurt, which is always possible considering his age, but um, a waterfall of predictions there. And uh, good stuff, man. So, all right, let's go to uh, at the twos, T-U-S-E. Kirk Cousins, 72% completion percentage, 5,000 yards, 45 touchdowns, or we riot. Aggressive, very, very aggressive. Well, first, 72% is pretty hard to get to. If you're going to throw for 5,000 yards, 72% would be really tough. I think that Kirk Cousins will probably rest between 65 and 68% completion percentage. That's generally where he ends up. Um, 5,000 yards. I mean, that really depends. Are they abandoning the run game? Because last year, in order to hit 5,000 yards, the Los Angeles Rams, aside from when they dominated the Vikings with Sony Michelle, they just couldn't really run the football very well. And only Tom Brady, Justin Herbert went for over 5,000. Matt Stafford went for 4,886. I mean, that's, it's a very, very high bar. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, they're throwing the ball all the time. 4,839. Now there is a kind of a gap here where you have cousins around 4,200 yards and then you kind of have a bigger drop off into the 3000 yard passers. He could work his way up into the 4,500 range where you find Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow. And then even 4,800 is Derek Carr. I think that's probably the absolute ceiling, but that seems really, really high. Um, and, and last year, it's not like they didn't throw the ball last year in terms of total dropbacks for Kirk cousins. I mean, this would be a fun party game for your friends. Like guess how many dropbacks he had, where he ranked in the league. It was actually 11th. I mean, in 2019, funny enough, I'll I'll pull this up right now. I've got the PFF open here. Let me pull this up in 2019, which was cousins best, most efficient year in their best offense. He ranked 25th in terms of total dropbacks. I mean, that kind of tells you when you're losing, you're throwing more. But even the fact that he was 11th in the league in dropbacks and went for 4,200, 
that tells you how hard it still is to get to 5,000 yards passing. 45 touchdowns, same kind of thing. Last year, he was ninth in the league with 33. And you're asking for, you're asking him to throw more touchdowns than anybody else did in the NFL last year. So it would, I know that you're kidding with the whole like we riot or whatever, but um, I, there, I, I do think that when we talk about Cousins and what he can be under O'Connell, he can have the same statistics, but if it happened in different order, you'd, you'd win more. Like instead of when you get behind and then you're putting up some of these bigger numbers to come back in games and keep them close. If you're right from the get go, keeping the foot on the gas pedal and you're coming up with that big drive and then you're up by two touchdowns and running the ball a lot, like that's a lot better, even though that's not different statistically. That's why the box score stats just don't tell you a whole heck of a lot. I mean, you can look at there's evidence kind of everywhere for that, but like, you know, completion percentages or yards or whatever, like a lot of, a lot of the good quarterbacks had big yardage totals for last year, but there have been times in the past where not great quarterbacks have played from behind all season and put up a ton of yards, but it was only because they were playing from behind all season. Um, so I think that it kind of depends more or just as much on how it happens rather than if it happens, if he throws for 4,200 yards and 33 touchdowns, but they win more because they got ahead early and then they ran Delvin cook to win the game. It doesn't matter what those box score stats are, or the PFF grade or anything else. It matters that the passing game drove their success. That's what you're really looking for. Um, but if he had that season, then he will, he'll overcome the 50 to one MVP odds that are similar to Jalen hurts and Tua as far as where his MVP odds are. Cause he would win the MVP with that. All right, this comes from RK2022, 7-10 record. Don't see that they improved on defense. Offense is going to be about the same. Garrett Bradbury, just going to take a stray here. Garrett Bradbury benched by game six. Ouch. So the 7-10 record we talked about, um, don't see them improved on defense. That rests so much on that secondary. If the Vikings secondary can just hold, can just be solid as it has absolutely not been the last two years. If they can just cover a little, not have coverage busts, not give up big plays in big situations like they seem to do every week last year. Cam Dantzler, play consistently from week to week, come through in big situations. Patrick Peterson, don't age. Andrew Booth, show something. Shandon Sullivan, tell us who you are. Like all those things. If that can happen, they can be improved on defense. Those are the guys it rests on. Uh, Lewis Seen is probably a more talented football player than Xavier Woods, but if he even gives you an average performance in his first year, that'll be pretty good. If he gives you more than that, it's really good to go along with Harrison Smith. But it's those corners that just were getting roasted these last two years if they can improve or even be closer to average than the defense is going to be better. Uh, against the run, it would be hard not to be better, but you know, no guarantees. It would just, they were atrocious against the run last year. So I think that there will be improvement. I also look at the quarterback schedule and go, eh, you know, you got your two games against Aaron Rodgers. You're going to have to face Josh Allen. That's no fun, but you got Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and Tua and Jared Goff. It's like, these guys are not scary. And there's opportunities there to be better just simply based on who you play. As far as Bradbury getting benched by game six, this will be one we certainly go back to over and over and over again, where we go, if Bradbury is getting thrown back into Cousins, was that not on tape? Was he not benched last year for Mason Cole? Um, I would assume Chris Reed is the backup center. Uh, That's what the way it looked when somebody was out, Austin Schlottman was a guy they brought in. I don't know that he makes the team or not, but maybe as the pure backup center, they seem to want to ride it out. But every year in the off season, the coaching staff is, Oh no, he's going to improve. He's looking better this year. And then, you know, they get halfway into the season and the same thing is happening. That same issue that he's just not a big guy. And it's hard to keep that weight on throughout a season. 
and he's not naturally good at anchoring to begin with and holding down against those guys that are 320 pounds. And I haven't quite gone through the schedule like defense by defense to see what they're going to be facing in terms of defensive linemen. But I mean, you start off with the Packers and Eagles like right away, right off the bat, you're facing some really tough guys. So I think week six is a little early for a benching, but could it happen again? It could, it could happen again. All right. This comes from Tony Kobanako. Sorry, Tony. I know we've tweeted a number of times, but I don't know how to pronounce your Twitter name. Uh, Let's see. The bears hit on most of their draft picks. Fields takes a big leap. Ryan Poles makes us look stupid for doubting him. I don't know. I didn't doubt Ryan Poles. Are we the doubters? Um, The lions win 10 games. The Packers lead the league in rushing. The Vikings finish fourth in the division and finally draft a quarterback. The bears part of that is a little tough to buy because they didn't have a first round draft pick. And even if they hit on their draft picks, I don't think they're a lot better. They drafted a 25 year old receiver. They drafted a receiver who is like able to rent a car, which never happens. That's always the joke about when someone's young. Well, they can't rent a car yet. They're so young. Am I right? Uh, But this guy can because they drafted a 25 year old receiver. Like I'm having a tough time seeing that their draft picks really change who they are. They're going to be a bad team. Fields taking another step could even the score though. Like, could they be, could they be a team that's eight, nine instead of maybe six and 11, which is where I think they are, or even five and 12. I tend to lean that they're going to be quite bad. The lions part of this, I'm buying. I am buying that the lions could win 10 games. 10 seems aggressive though with Jared Goff, but nine, eight be competitive. Yeah. The Packers lead the league in rushing. I mean, could could see that. I mean, they have a good offensive line and good running backs. I would not buy that the Vikings would finish fourth in the division just because of the Bears, but finally draft a quarterback. Could see it. It's not a good scenario for the people running the team, the one you're talking about, but you could almost like, can you hear that? What's that noise? That's people listening saying, you know, maybe that's not that bad. It would be a miserable, miserable season if that were to happen. And the downside is, though, because this is where all of us could say, hey, just lose and draft a quarterback. But the downside is that your coach is probably awful at that point. And that's not a good thing. If they ended up you know, running it all back and making a bet on Kevin O'Connell and then finishing fourth in the division, if Kirk doesn't get hurt, and you finish last in the division. That I mean, that means your coach is a horror show. I would be really blown away if O'Connell was that bad that he could sink the unsinkable Kirk that you can't bring below seven games uh, for winning. But I could see the Lions beating them in the division. I just, they have all the earmarks of a team, as weird as it is to say about the Lions, that makes that jump roster-wise. They have a lot better weapons. Their offensive line is really good. Their defense is improved. If you hit on some of those things, uh, they could be a mildly dangerous team to play this year. The Chicago part I'm having a little trouble with. All right, last one uh, from S. McCullough 5. Predictions. Uh, this is a question for about predictions. You can always throw your hot takes like that. I love that, Tony. That is, I mean, that's a blazer right there. Uh, but this is more of a question. Which positions will have the same starter at the start of the season and at the end who are they? And, uh, for the ones that change, why injury and improvement injury is really impossible to predict. Uh, I mean, I have no clue who's getting hurt. <laughs> That's another one. I mean, I, I, if I were able to predict injuries, my gosh, the fantasy people would pay me a lot and the gambling people I'm not, I mean, the guys who you have sort of red flags on Zedarius Smith, Adam Thielen, Daniel Hunter, even like mildly Irv Smith because he got hurt last year, but not really because he's young. But someone who was recently injured, you always worry about. Christian Derrissaw is another one that we don't talk a lot about him because he's the left tackle, but he had multiple injuries before the season last year and then was hurt in season. So he's at like injury number four going into this year. Cam Dantzler looked pretty pretty jacked up to me uh, in a good way, I mean, when he was out there at minicamp. 
So I think he's put on some muscle, but he's one that got hurt a few times in his first season. You worry about that. Anybody who's a little on the older side, Eric Hendricks, but, but like, who knows? So as far as benchings or shufflings arounds, you know, that wide receiver three position is maybe a little intriguing to me is maybe if it's less clear that there's a wide receiver three, or if it's like three, three, a three B, if Amir Smith Marset emerges, that would be an interesting development through training camp. If suddenly KJ Osborne and Amir Smith Marset were splitting their opportunities, but that would be, you know, that's, you know, possibility. Uh, the right guard position always could change. It could start with Chris Reed. It could end with Jesse Davis. It could end with Wyatt Davis. Who the heck knows? That doesn't seem likely. Um, you know, Delvin Cook gets hurt. I didn't even mention him in the injuries, but he's been injured every season. That's where maybe Kenny Wongwu ends up, you know, emerging there. Um, corner is certainly another one where if Dantzler struggles, I mean, remember Dantzler did not win the job out of camp because he just had a bad camp last year. I think some people looked at it and went like, oh, Zimmer, what are you doing playing Breland? But when we came out of camp and preseason, I think all of us agreed with him to play Breland. It just worked out to be a bad decision, and Zimmer should have pulled the plug on it way earlier, but for whatever reason, did not trust Cam Dantzler. But if Dantzler struggles or Shannon Sullivan struggles, uh, the nickel corner, they'll have to switch some things around. Where Cam Bynum fits in all this is kind of interesting. Like is can't because right now, and this is mini camp, so don't lose it. But right now, Cam Bynum is the one who's been taking the majority of the first team reps at safety. So, you know, if Lewis Seen isn't ready right away, I mean, we all would have thought Laquan Treadwell was wide receiver one or two at this point in the offseason, and it didn't work out. Not saying he's bust, only saying that maybe Cam Bynum is farther ahead, or where or could he end up being their slot corner? Is that possible if Sullivan doesn't really fit in? There's not a lot of positions that every day we're going to be going, oh, today was this guy's day. Now he's leading the battle. This roster is pretty filled with veteran guys who know where they're going to be. These predictions are fantastic, folks. And I'll finish with maybe the, the, the best one. This is from Mitch Boisel on Twitter. The team will finish 16th in field goal percentage. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. They just cut their other kicker. It was, a, you know, you hate to see it, but like, there he goes. It's Greg, Greg Joseph season, everybody. It's Greg Joseph back again. 16th in field goal percentage. I don't know. There's one. Imagine, like, what do, if, let's say it wasn't the score, but you were, you were given a genie that came out of a bottle and told you, you can predict one thing about football and it's not the final score or the team's final record. What would it be? Give, give me, give me when they make the kicks. That's what I want to know. <laughs> 16th and field goal percentage. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it, you know, probably needs to be better than that or they're going to miss some important kicks because you know, this team's still going to play tight games. So this is fun. I mean, predictions predictions and projections week everyone going to be writing about it on, on the website too keep sending them they're great and uh, we'll keep firing them off thanks so much everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time